podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. As we pick back up in Acts chapter 13, let's ask the Lord for His blessing. God, we look to You, Your big, wonderful heart of love that wills that none perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. God, it's the gospel, the gospel, the message that can turn a sinner from perishing onto the road that leads to life, the narrow way that few only find. Father, equip us now through the hearing of your word to hear and understand and to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you heard the one where the two missionaries walk into a Jewish synagogue uh, which isn't a joke at all, right? It's, an, it's a line that comes right out of Acts 13, and it's going to be repeating because that's the strategy of the early Christian missionary movement. Wherever they go in the world, there's always a Jewish community. God made it that way. In fact, Acts chapter 2 says that every nation under heaven had some Jews living there who had been scattered during wartime. And so God did that with a purpose in mind, that there'd always be a light, the light of the gospel, as it were, the Old Testament there to point people in the right direction. And so uh, it always starts with the Jewish synagogues. And so we find ourselves in modern day Turkey on missionary uh, journey number one. And in the synagogue, of course. And so, yeah, you remember last time um, there in Pisidian, in the local uh, Jewish house of worship, uh, the rabbis asked if Paul happened to have, uh, as a visiting guest, an encouraging word for everybody. And Paul said, I'm glad you asked. I happen to have some good news. And he preached the gospel there at that synagogue on that Sabbath morning. Uh, so that sermon uh, made up the crux of last week's message as we walked through the sermon, but we only made it uh, to the altar call. And so uh, what's so incredible about the sermons that appear in the book of Acts and the New Testament is that it gives us understanding of what the gospel is, what the gospel is not, what to say, how to say it, and what kind of reactions favorable and not so favorable that we can expect. And so there's so much on the line for us. We've got the commission they had to go into our world and share the good news of life. And so we're going to pick up at the end of Paul's sermon. So we backtrack a little bit just to the altar call for some context. And the altar call is just so powerful I can't resist reviewing it just a little bit. I know we talked only five minutes last time about it, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be able to reiterate some of those truths. And then on to the congregation's response after hearing the gospel there in Turkey. So for context, Paul has just told them the bottom line Listen up, Jewish people there in the synagogue. God has sent the promised Messiah in fulfillment of our own scriptures. And then he says in verse 38, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Bottom line, you want to be forgiven? It's through Christ. Through him, verse 39, everyone who believes is justified, pardoned, or acquitted. Charges dropped from everything you could not be acquitted for, 
by observing the law. The law of Moses is really the commandments of God, not Moses. But they came down through Moses. So the Jews call it the law of Moses. It's the commandments of God. Take care, beware, that what the prophets have said doesn't happen to you. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, quoting, Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. So here's the reaction that we didn't get to. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Saturday. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism are non-Jewish converts to Judaism that have no connection to Jewish DNA whatsoever. They're in Turkey, so they're ancient Turks, if we can call them that. They weren't called Turks uh, then yet, but let's do that. And so they follow, surround Paul and Barnabas after the service, who talked with them and urged them, the pastors here, the guys, to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city, it's a large city. It's a military outpost there in uh, Turkey. It's a big place. The whole city turns out to hear the word of the Lord. So yes, indeed, two ideas in these first two paragraphs. One, of course, is the altar call. Time to make a decision there with the gospel. That's what the gospel is always leading to, yes or no, heaven or hell. Forgiveness, or are you going to stand there on your own? And then the second one is the favorable response. It's really a mixed response, but he goes to the favorable one first, and so that'll be good. So let's look now. You've got the verses there at this altar call, what I'm calling the altar call. Uh, and what's so important to go over it again, because you're going to just see the positive and the negative, the come to heaven or perish right? This is the gospel. And why I want to repeat it is because the gospel has been changed. There's a progressive, more popular, easygoing, laid back, kind of worldly, world-friendly version of a gospel which has changed. And if you change something, it's not what it used to be. And if the gospel is the vehicle to salvation, which the Bible says it is, By the message of the preaching, the preaching of the message is what saves the soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. So if you change the message, the preaching, then the thing that saves can't save because it's not the thing anymore. And the devil, he's ingenious, and that's what he does. Tweak it, tweak it, tweak it. Keep a lot of the warm fuzzies, the positives, right? But don't require what's necessary, faith in Christ repentance from sin, moral uh, transformation. And so, yeah. And by the way, why I'm repeating this is because those who preach a different gospel, Galatians chapter 1 verse 8, may God's curse be upon you. Not my words. If you change the gospel and stand before a lost soul, And you represent God. Oh, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you what the Bible really means. It means you can stay in your sin. You don't have to repent. God loves you the way you are. So you got a lifestyle and a natural proclivity towards something the Bible calls sexual immorality. And the Bible says if you live that way, you're not going to heaven. Even though the Bible says that, what it really means is God's okay with it. Because who are we to judge? That's a Galatians 1.8 moment. And you may know somebody like that. And that says, may God's curse rest upon you because you are misleading a human soul for whom Christ died. That's not good. Not good at all. So, yeah, you, here's what we see in the altar call. Super easy uh, here. Two components, positive and negative, and you've got to have both. Uh, believe God's word, trust in his son, live forever. That's the positive one. Uh, Reject God's word, resist his son, and be condemned. And everybody has to make a choice. That's where it is. So just know this. Every time you share the gospel, it's got to be headed somewhere to make a choice. 
You may not always be in the place where they're ready for that, but in your mind, you're, you're pushing for the closing the deal. You have to be. Is this a time you can say yes to that? Right? Why? Even in the world, I had a knock at the door a couple weeks ago. Good looking, young men, bright faces telling me about solar panels and all the good reasons why I should have solar panels on my roof. Even though I told them, look, my wife doesn't think they're attractive, and so it's not going to happen. You know what? Maybe your wife needs to know how much money that you can save. And I said, look, you guys are so persuasive, it's unbelievable. You should not be salesmen. You should be preachers. And I told him, you've missed your calling, dude, because we could, God could so use your skills because they were so smooth. And here's, after, here's what they do. After the pitch, after the back and forth, they close in. Yes or no? Can we enroll you? Yes or no? He wants a decision. And how much more important when you're sharing the gospel is not about saving a few bucks, switching from PG&E, it's about saving your soul and switching from the kingdom of darkness and eternal doom to eternal life. And so, yeah, we have an altar call here. That's what it is, plain and simple. The word altar is the table from which the communion is served. That's where we call the altar. So an altar call is to call somebody to the work of Jesus on the cross on their behalf to make a decision, yes or no. And so this is what we see going on uh, in verse 38, the wooing, the positive, the sweet. God loves you. He sent Christ to die because he cares about you. He doesn't want you to perish. He has his eye on you for good, rich in mercy. And he paid your penalty Forgiveness is available. The word justified in 39, follow me along. Uh, I already told you it's a legal term, which means God will drop all the charges against you because, not because you've done some good works, but because the charges have been paid and he paid them for you. Right? And so he does say in 39, he says, uh, but know this, <laughs> you can't get forgiven by just trying to be good, keeping the commandments. The commandments that you love, they don't love you. You may respect the Ten Commandments, they don't respect you because you break them all. You hate them. You hate them because you break them. Don't say you love them because it says thou shalt not ever lie. And you do. And so do I. And then, the, and so did we. And we still struggle with that. Then we lie about lying. It's really sad, all right? So yes, it's sad news, but the Bible says, Galatians chapter 3, the commands were given by God to convict us of our sin and to lead us to a Savior. That's it. And so that's what he just says, just don't trust in your goodness because you're sorely lacking in that department. Trust in his goodness and live forever. And then the negative has to come. You try to take the negative out, you know, like a lot of progressives done, and you, you've imploded the whole thing. So he says, don't let this be true of you, the warning in verses 40 and 41, and he quotes that very harsh sounding uh, exhortation, look you scoffers wonder and perish, it really means marvel and die. Go ahead, if you want to say, oh this is so unbelievable, and start mocking it, just know that while you're rolling your eyes, as I said last week, you're on your way off that proverbial cliff into what the Bible calls the abyss. So don't do that. He says, please, watch out. Yes, it sounds too good to be true, but don't let that cause you to mock and scoff and roll your eyes and miss it. Because uh, God may take, and I'm quoting Ezekiel 33, 11, God may take no delight in the death of the wicked. His heart is broken. But neither is he going to lose any sleep over sinners who want to go their own way. And spit in his son's face and snub his gracious invitation that cost Jesus his life where he was suffocated to death as God the Son? Sorry, you don't want that? Bye. That's what that verse means. 
Now, I don't suggest you use that in first person, but this is it. Make a choice. Be with the redeemed or go your way. That's it. So here's the reaction. Uh, It's new territory for us, starting at 42. Uh, It's a good one. I call this note takers the afterglow, you know, the meeting after the meeting. So on their way out somewhere, they're meeting in the parking lot, the foyer, wherever, something's going on, the Holy Spirit's still at work, as he often is all the way into the car, and then when he he gets you home, he's still at work, because that's how he is. Life and death decisions are still being made. Now, I said before, it's actually a mixed response to the message that he preached, uh, but we have here the favorable one verse. Verse 43, many had become followers, but not all. And the not all, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, as you'll see. So many of the hearts were touched, obviously, and some of them have now become Christians. Here's the evidence. Verse 42, uh, they invite them to return. The word in the Greek for invite is really strong. It means almost to plead or to beg. You see, and I think King James has beg or to beseech. Now, you know, this is the thing. They heard a little truth. They want more. I was telling the other services about a show, you know, um, I, 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 I shouldn't be alive kind of documentary where they reenact uh, a near-death uh, experience. One guy was out in the Mojave Desert somewhere, <laughs> broke his ankle, was out, <laughs> stranded, without water, very hot. He was right by like a puddle that kept him, just drips, just little drips. Somehow he managed to survive by the grace of God. When the rescuer is holding his head up, his face is just chapped. You could feel it. And they take the water and they pour it, just a mouthful. And he swallows it and goes, more, more. And I was like, oh, you get a little bit of that truth. You've lived your whole life trying to be good enough. The Jews in the synagogue. Command after command, do this, don't do that, which the rabbis had turned it into. And they just want more. And some of them have gotten saved because he says, continue in the grace. Now that wouldn't make any sense if they hadn't started (laughs) to enter into the grace. Now continue. He's, He's saying this, look, And he knows how Christians are. We get saved by grace. And then we think it's our job to keep it up, to earn God's love and approval. When we're doing good, we feel good. When we're doing not so good, we feel like God doesn't love us anymore and that we're on the outside now because our lives are just kind of a mess. Sorry. hate to clue you into a wonderful truth. You're saved by grace. You're sustained today by grace. You'll get there by grace. You will finish the course that God has set out for you by grace. It's always been by grace. It isn't up to you now. It has never been up to you, nor will it ever be up to you, salvifically speaking, with salvation, that is. And so I just want to say it was to, to, to tell them to continue in God's grace to Jews, Orthodox Judaism is tough. When you see those guys with the hair like that and the hats and the long, oh my word, there's a rule for every day of the week. And that's just starting it out. There's a hundred rules for every day of the week. Uh, Old Testament Judaism, nowhere in the Torah, nowhere in the Law of Moses, nowhere in the Old Testament completely does it ever say you're saved by keeping laws. Nowhere. It's not there. In fact, it says the opposite. From cover to cover, you're saved by faith. Of the first Jew, Abraham, he's the first Hebrew. He is said to have Abraham believed God, and because of that faith, God put him right with himself. That's it. He was saved by faith. If the first Jew, the progenitor of the race, is saved by faith, So is everybody who follows in Abraham's footsteps, including us. We're called Abraham's spiritual children because like Abraham, even though we don't all have the DNA connected, we have the spiritual DNA in this. We believed God and God counted that 
as righteousness, putting us right with him. That's what that means. And so, yeah, legalistic nightmare, a life of crazy do's and don'ts. The Pharisees took it up a second uh, level. It was awful. So Paul brought the good news and uh, said, look, the, conde- the, the commands condemn you. Jesus forgives you. The law is heavy. Jesus' burden is light. The law is strict and unyielding. <laughs> Jesus is merciful, kind, and humble in heart. Yeah, I'd beg them to come back too if I were them. And so, yeah. So as they're parting, now getting ready to move on, they're telling the newbies to continue in grace. In other words, keep yourself in God's love. That's a scripture. Rest yourself in his mercy. Another scripture. Live under the banner of undeserved favor. Whenever you're feeling condemned, and don't we all know that feeling because of what we said or thought or felt or did. Confess it and rest under the banner of unmerited favor, unconditional love, period. By one, quoting the scriptures, Hebrews Hebrews chapter 10, by one sacrifice he perfected forever those he is making holy. Already? Not yet. You're in God's eyes right now, today. You are perfected. Nothing you can do about that. You can show that you're still a work in progress, but from God's point of view, you're done. You're perfected. Right? Now it's working out the salvation, that perfection that's the end goal. With fear and trembling, meaning with seriousness. It's God who's working in you to do uh, to his good uh, pleasure. So hang in there. Uh, all right, so yes, verse 44. Take a look at that. Oy vey, the next Saturday. Traffic jam, parking lot full. There's just, it's a nightmare of the non-Jewish, non-Jewish. We're in Turkey. So when you say the whole city, they're all Gentiles, which means nations. They've all showed up, and now there's going to be a little bit of a ruckus. How does the devil take it when he gets a heads up? We're losing people. And now we've got a whole parking lot full of, perhaps, the commentators, a thousand people. We're going to lose them. Paul, we know what Paul can do with the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's get to work. Let's see what he does. 45, he's always got his people. When the Jews, the, the, the ones who ignored the um, altar call, the disgruntled ones, the ones who got up halfway through the message, harumphing and letting everybody know, I'm offended, and left and the door slammed a little bit. Those Jews <laughs> saw the crowds. They were filled with jealousy, jealousy, filled with jealousy, talked abusively, the word is to blaspheme, against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you Jews first, obviously. Since you rejected, here comes some sanctified sarcasm, uh, since you guys reject it and don't consider yourselves worthy of living forever, uh, we'll turn to these guys, pointing to them on the grassy knolls all over. Uh, we'll turn to them. You Jews, who the, the scriptures were Jewish, the Messiah's Jewish, everything about this is Jewish, but you guys don't want it, so guess who? They're all lined up around. We'll turn to them. And after all, in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 5, it says that we are a light. Jews are a light, supposedly, to the world to show that light for the nations, for the Gentiles, that they that you may bring salvation to all of them, to the ends of the earth. So when the Gentiles heard that line, they were pretty glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Let's hang out here and figure out what's going on. So we've seen the favorable response, right? Now for the unfavorable one. And brace yourself, there always is one. There's promises that when you want to do God's will, you're going to upset people and there's going to be pushback. And sometimes (laughs) it could be pretty serious and pretty uh, painful. And don't forget we have a devil 
who rolls, rolls around, <laughs> roams around uh, like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Why? He knows when God is advancing work and blessing, and he comes to hinder and harm. And so he's going to use some insecure men, fan the flame of jealousy, just like a bunch of little uh, high school boys, right? That's what's going to happen here. Uh, where does this all come from? Paul and Barnabas get kicked out of town. The whole thing happens. What's going on? It all starts with jealousy. And uh, like I said, just so immature. The word for jealousy there is really hot. It's burning. I don't know if you've ever been jealous in your life, but you know when it grabs a hold of you and you're just, ugh. You're so jealous. You're so insecure. You're so, you're so afraid you're about to lose something because somebody you deem more attractive, more on the ball, more together than you is in the sphere. And now all the attention goes to them. So yeah, Paul and Barnabas have become a bit of celebrities now. Sorry, there's a natural bond and affection for those who speak the truth that set our hearts free. Sorry. They're going to like them. Sorry. And so now, like the high school boy who now there's a new guy from across town. He's on the baseball team now, and he can hit the ball much further than you. You used to hit the ball pretty good. But now, compared to him, yikes, it's a whole new, whole new ball game, as it were. Come on. That was spur of the moment. And uh, yeah. And so now, every time he cracks the bat, you know, with the hits the ball, you're like, everybody, everybody, everybody loves him. And you know? what happened to me? This is what happened to them. The rabbi at the synagogue, nobody's interested in Rabbi Rabinowitz's sermons anymore. A sermon on how, how can we keep the 300 laws, the negative laws, and the 300 positive laws of God. Nobody wants to hear that anymore, bro. You know what they want to hear? They want to hear, God sent us a savior. It's no more 365 negative laws and whatever positive laws. It's this law, the law of love. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son that you just have to believe. Then you'll end up fulfilling God's moral law just by trusting in him. And there said, we want in. And the whole city heard God is offering amnesty, a grace period that you can come while you're alive and before he appears and get 100% amnesty, pardon for all of your sins. They want more. They want to hear. So they're uh, turning out and the guys are jealous. Uh, no, no real, nothing new here. Um, you remember back 10 years earlier, the church, Jesus just rose from the dead. The church was just born. And the, the temple services were dwindling as the Jews were hearing Peter, James, and John. And now the church was exploding to thousands. Before chapter three or four, there's 5,000 Christian Jews. Where do you think they came from? They came from the temple. And now they're not going to temple anymore because they don't need to go to the sacrifice because Jesus was the sacrifice. Now they're hanging out with Peter, James, and John. How did that make the Pharisees and the pastors of the temple feel? Well, can it kill them? So they pulled them in and said, how do you like this? Shut up or we'll flail the skin off of your back. And they said, no, can do. So they flailed the skin off the back of the 12, the 11 disciples. So, and, and why? Jealousy. What about Jesus? Pilate, Matthew tells us, chapter 27, even Pilate knew that the Jewish leaders handed Jesus over to him to be executed out of envy, quote. Yeah, they love Jesus' teaching. They, quote, hung on every word. Another quote, they delighted in hearing him. So they were jealous. And so these guys, you know what they're thinking? What about the tithe checks? Where are they going? They see they're all following them with their tithing money. And you know, if a new work started, that tithing money, they're right. It would go to the new work. 
But here's what Rabbi Rabinowitz, who's waving his arms and causing a ruckus, couldn't figure out. Go with God, what God was doing. Why not? You could have been the next pastor because you would have been writing your type text type checks to the to the new work as well. But as you were doing that, you were getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And now we would call you Pastor Rabinowitz, a Jew for Jesus. Come on, man. No, no, no. Can't trust God that much. This is all terrible. It's awful. You're going to lose something. Something horrible is happening. No, something good is happening. You need a little faith. Remember the part where God works all things together for good? What happened to your faith? We all have our moments, but we need to trust God is good, and he's leading us sometimes in hard ways. So the green-eyed monster comes out, verse 45. They talk blasphemously. It means to insult something that's sacred. And so the only reason Paul and Barnabas are sacred is because they belong to a sacred God and they preach a sacred message. And so a common tactic is when sinners feel threatened by your gospel, here's what they need to do. They need to make it personal and accuse you of being a fraud or a liar or crazy or intolerant or a hater or whatever. In this case, they were saying they're evil charlatans, they're after people's money. Uh, The idea behind the word to blaspheme there is so violent, verbal violence, to to tear someone shred uh, from, to shred somebody limb from limb. They need to defame the messengers and denounce the message. So notice this, I love it. Last minute change of, of venue. They were invited back. They're the guest speakers. They're locked and loaded with the gospel. He's got his notes. He's going to preach up a storm, so he thought, until he couldn't get anywhere near the building. And then when he got there, the door slammed in his face. And and all the ushers are out there telling the Gentiles, get out of here, get out of here. What are you doing here? Redirecting the flow of traffic there. And I love it. And so they're denied the use of the building. The hotheads are doing their thing. They're causing a riot. And so Paul and Barnabas come to the conclusion, time to move forward, let's say goodbye, and they have a parting shot. This is not a failure. This is called God leading us. They did their part. There was a reaction. They're not responsible for that. And now they're, being, they're going to be forced to leave and find another alternative, which Paul says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why not just turn to the Gentiles like it was always the plan, Isaiah 49, 5 and 6. Yeah. They don't try to kick the door down. They don't try to protest. They leave with the sarcastic remark, okay, you guys were first in line. Apparently, you didn't feel that was an honor to be a Jew and to have the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish prophecies and a Jewish Messiah. Sorry you didn't feel like that was a good thing, uh, but we're going to pick up with the Gentiles. They're they're listening. They're in the parking lot. We're going to pick up with them. You know why? Because guess what Isaiah says? Isaiah says, I've made you a light to the nations, the word is Gentile, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Not an angry, knee-jerk reaction by Paul because he always thinks, okay, shut door, now what? Biblically, not my feelings. There's been a shut door. I had plans, God said, uh, for whatever reasons, good, bad, or ugly, they're going this way, and they can see that it's the word of the Lord. Irony of irony, though, for me, as a Jewish person, I see that as, God, man, God said... Israel, you've got the scriptures, you've got the Psalms, you've got the temple, you've got the whole thing, the sacrificial system, you're a light to the world. Bring the truth and the light to the world. Then they say no, they forfeit the ball, they fumble, and who? The Gentiles, they receive the Jewish Messiah, and now the Gentiles are witnessing to them. That's what we do, you know? We find a Jew and we're all like, oh, you're Jewish, you're God's people. Every time I talk to a Jew, they're like, and there's one who, (laughs) right over there (laughs) somewhere. (laughs) 
he's over at Sinorama there. And I'm like, dude, listen up, you know? And I just like, you know, just trying to bring the Jew card. But if people don't really, li- sorry. <laughs> if people don't live by their Jewishness and embrace it, it's just like talking to a Gentile, which is really, yeah. So, but one guy from Sinorama, a Gentile, did receive and is in this service right now. Just saying, our God is at work, and he doesn't work in, you know, you would think the one with the knowledge, right? But yeah, God just has his ways, that's all I can say. I love this. Israel was the pre-New Testament light of the world, right? But who ultimately is? Jesus came on the scene and said, guess what? I'm the light of the world. If anyone believes in me, they'll never group around in darkness, but they'll listen to this. They'll have the light of life. Now, this is claiming to be more than a man. And then to prove it, he says, I know that's a big claim. Immediately after saying, I'm the light of the world, he says, show me someone in darkness, a blind man, born blind. He says, let me show you that I can make good the promise to be the light of life in your life. In your life. Puts his hands there. Boom. The guy with probably born without eyes now has eyes and they see. And everybody's like, how many fingers? He's like, three, three, <laughs> you know? And they're jumping around like that. And, and why was it? I told you. I can take you out of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of light. Trust me. Anybody can promise that, but can anybody do this? And he did that a lot. The light of life, Jesus, shining on your soul. Is there anything like light? Nothing like sunlight. I woke up to streaming uh, sunlight through the window just recently and just went, that is so beautiful. It just, there's something about warm sunshine. Let me tell you another warm sunshine story. Uh, As you know, I was very sick in July last year. I was essentially in uh, uh, solitary confinement. Uh, No humans except an occasional nurse that was dressed in a spacesuit. So I had no, no real, I had nobody, no, and no light, no light, dark window for three weeks. All those hours, no humans, no light. So when Barb was allowed to see me, on the last day to pick me up, I got rolled out into the sunshine. It was July 19th. It was about 78 beautiful degrees. The sky was blue. I could hear birds singing the second the doors opened. And I sat there, they parked me, and I was in the direct sun. Hit me like this, I was like, tear down my face, the light. Air. When a soul that's been in darkness comes in with the God who created that soul and also the universe and loves and empowers that soul with life, when you meet, it's the light of life. There's nothing like that. And then he's going to turn around and say, I'm the light of the world, but guess what? You are the light of the world. Well, which is it? Well, it's both. He says, I'm the light of the world, and when you receive me, the light of the Holy Spirit comes into you, and through you, I shine the light of life. By your attitudes, how you deal with your relationships, how you manage your sexual life, your sexuality, I should say. This is all how you express the light of God through your words, how you handle adversity. When life goes left and you were thinking it goes right and it's like, what? And you're confused and all of this stuff and you're hurt and you don't understand. And God says, you're the light of the world. You've got a responsibility. You've got to handle this like a Christian because people are watching you. Our kids, our grandkids, our friends, our, our family members who don't need any more reason to harden their hearts. 
we're the light of the world. That's an awesome privilege and an unbelievable responsibility. Verse 48 here, um, when the Gentiles hear it, they're glad and they honor the Lord. There's a cheer from the, the grassy knoll as I picture it. And uh, honoring the word of the Lord means that they bow to its authority, they receive its good news, they respond to the invitation and put their faith in Christ. And then verse 48, a shout out to what drives us all insane. The sovereignty of God, verse 48, and those appointed to eternal life believed. Oh man, it's that whole theological conundrum, if I can use that word, that dilemma. It's like, okay, we have free will. He doesn't violate it, but he's choosing. So how does it work if you chose us we're choosing you, but how can we choose you if you already chose us? Well, maybe God knew who would choose him if they could, and who wouldn't, and then chose us to choose him. <laughs> well, uh, like C.S. Lewis says, you're going to get to heaven, and you're going to, your first two words, I've said it so many times, of course. Of course. You can't do spiritual trigonometry now. You really can't. Right? It's like, come on, how can they both be working together? But somehow they are. They are working together and you have free will. It's like, well, what if I'm not appointed unto eternal life? Well, then choose to believe and you are. There it is. It's that easy. What if God didn't choose me? Believe today. And then you know you're chosen. There you go. It's that easy. Come to me with all your problems, and I'll just give you an easy answer like that, uh, maybe. Uh, D.L. <laughs> DL Moody said this, bottom line. The chosen are the whosoever wills. The non-chosen are the whosoever wants. Could it be that easy? Maybe. You know what? When God said, I'm going to appoint you to eternal life, he wasn't thinking... This is going to upset you. This is going to make your brain hurt. And I just want to just ruin your whole day that I, I chose you. How awful. That way, yeah, I chose you. Deal with it. All right. <laughs> Deal with it, you know, without taking away somebody else's uh, free will to come. There's no way. There's no way that God prevents somebody from coming to heaven. No way. Sorry. No way. They wanted to go that way, and he allowed it. Can we finish up? We finish up the chapter right here, last little paragraph, and not a lot to talk about. So verse 49 and following, and we're done. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Yeah, try stopping God. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh, verse 50, but the Jews, catch, follow this, the Jews the hard-hearted ones, incited, I mean, it's the light of fire. <laughs> the God-fearing women are the Turks, the Turkish women who go to the synagogue and have become Jews um, by converting to Judaism, but they're Turks. Those women of high standing and the leading men of the city are now upset. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, those two groups of the highfalutin whatevers, and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust from their feet. That's a Jewish thing that Jesus brought up. It just means, okay, I'm washing my hands of this. This is on you. We've done our part. Your blood is on your own account. You'll never be able to look at us and go, well, you didn't tell me. No, sorry, if you perished, it's on you, all right? That's what that's about. So they shake the dust and protest against them, like your will be done, hate to say it, and went 90 miles to the east to do it all over again. And that's what they're going to do for six more chapters, the same pattern. And the disciples in the rearview mirror, the ones they're leaving behind, waving, <laughs> They're filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Two last ideas to close out with. 
The word of the Lord gets established and the messengers get evicted. <laughs> That's how it happens sometimes. Well, it says here, the word for spread there is to publish. So through their actions, through their lives, through their words, uh, the gospel's being put out there publicly. Um, yeah, and so yeah, you can kick the, 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 the guys out of town. You can persecute uh, the church. You can bring down the mandates. You can say, you will not sing in church. You will not sing praises to your God. You will not. It's against the law. Be quiet. Sorry. <laughs> not going to work because you can't mandate people. You want the rocks to cry out? That's what Jesus said. You tell us not to sing. I was telling people, the rocks will cry out and praise them. You know? So we are going to sing because there is a God in heaven and we love him and, and singing is a good thing to him. Uh, it's just the word of the Lord just goes forward. It goes forward. There's nothing anybody can do to stop him. Quoting the Proverbs, there's no counsel, there's no power, there's no plan that can prevail against God. And of course it's spreading like wildfire. Look, the word is just a whoosh, like through a, like a dry prairie. The fire just goes through. Why? What's in the middle of Turkey that's giving them any hope at all? The superstition, the Roman rule, the Greek mythology the worldly ideas, the burden of Judaism without relationship with God, just chore after chore. And then you come in and you hear the grace of God. Yeah, well, <laughs> it spreads like wet fire for sure. So, yeah. Um, what I love here, time to go, verse 50, you know, the unbelieving, disgruntled, jealous Jews. And get a load of this. How do they do this? There's something that commentators see between going to the high standing women in their congregation who are married to the high standing men leaders. Do you see? A lot of commentators say, do you see the connection? They went to the wives who were a part of their congregation. The husbands were not, but they're married. So the wives who got offended and angry and hurt went home. And the rest is history. Because a happy wife is a happy life. An unhappy wife is not so happy. And so this has been around for 2,000 years. Okay, And so what happened here is we're going to make mama happy. And the men probably got uh, infuriated because of the slander. Oh, they came into town. They're dividing our families. They came into church. We went to our regular seats as Christians here. We went to our regular seats. And somebody's sitting in my seat. That's my seat. Okay? And then I go to sit down in the same row, and there's Gentiles in the whole pew. I can't even find something in three rows back. Right? So, yeah, get a load of that. And the husband's like, we'll take care of this. And the husbands start planning. And they tossed them out of town. They evicted them. They escorted them out. Once again, when you get escorted out as a Christian and you're minding your own business and you can't figure out why, why I thought I was supposed to be here preaching, God, you told me that. And you're getting escorted out. They're waving. They're happy. The disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. And God is saying, I got something over here. It's called Iconium. It's called Iconium. And they're going to get up and go. And they do. And we're going to see that. Now, as we close out with this word, I was thinking, what, what possesses men to go into another town, start all over again? They're going to go in. They're going to get beat up. Some people are going to get saved. People are going to get jealous. And they're going to throw rocks at them. And they're, all, they're going to perhaps kill Paul, because he will be stoned, spoiler alert, but the disciples come around him and he gets up. What possesses them to keep on doing this, to be slandered, maligned, hurt, hounded to death? Why do they keep on going? Oh, well, I got a word here. It's called the cross. What inspires anybody to do hard stuff, to die to yourself, to tell your emotions to shut up and take a back seat. I'm a Christian. I'm the adult in the room emotions. And we're going to handle this 
as a believer in the Lord. That's so much work, that's unbelievable. But what motivates a person to do that? To stand against themselves in what the self is lusting and wanting and, and, and reaching for, whatever that is, is the love of God as it appeared through Christ suffering on our behalf. I will do, I'll do anything. I will do anything. I'll go any place. I'll say anything. I'll do the hard thing. Not for another human being, but for God. For the one who was suffocating, calling out my name. Wow. <laughs> I have a picture in my head and I cried first service. I skipped it second because I didn't want to cry. But I may cry for you guys. But I have this picture in my head of me at 19 just being a disgusting person, just vile, party-centered animal. I have a picture of that guy. And suddenly, I walk out of a disco, and I'm saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And God says to me, I got a lifetime of honor for you to preach my word for the rest of your life. And I'm going to say, no, you know, to whatever it is, whatever Christian exhortation. No, it's too hard. No, just like you. So what's facing you? What's your deal? Think about it right now. Think about it. You're in church for a reason. I mean, let's make this applicable. <laughs> what is it that's in front of you that's super hard for you? Think about Jesus, what he did for you how much he loves you, how much he's entrusting to you to be the grown-up in the room and to respond like Christ would. The only way you're going to do that is to remember his agony on your behalf and his love and mercy he's shown you. And for him, you'll do it. Let's pray. Father God, it is true that the cross, it just, it's, it's everything to us, God. It just swallows up all of our madness. It soaks out all of our hate and anger and woundedness and desire for revenge and the me-centered life, the me-centered life. It, it helps us let go of that, God, and to, by faith, <laughs> let you rise up in us and live through us the Christ life the other-centered life, the kindness, the mercy, oh, the goodness. Thank you for that great demonstration of our worth to you, how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 